welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Melogic. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bashong. We're back together again after a little bit of a pause. So the three amigos are going to talk about cold weather nutrition for beef cows. And I don't know that Josh has anything good to say about this at all. <laughs> he, he's, he doesn't run a whole lot of cows, do you, Josh? No. So we'll we'll look to you for the equine part of this whole conversation. <laughs> yes, because that is not my <laughs> that is definitely not my part. But today, Dana, you said did you wanted to talk some about cold stress and nutrition and and of course I can offer some of my thoughts on the economic side when it comes to that. Yes. So I'll just let you jump into into it right away. Okay. So I'll just start it off. You know, what we need to think about is the main goal during cold or inclement weather is maintaining body condition. That's our biggest thing. I mean, I know we can always kind of think back to that February 2021 when we had that three weeks of cold. Trent, do you think you maintained body condition on your cows? I think I kept them alive. Okay. Well, that, I mean, in- <laughs> that was about all I accomplished. Well, and so that's, you know, sometimes that is our goal because that was pretty extreme, but maintaining body condition and, and keeping those cows, especially spring calving cows, if they're going to calve maybe March 1st, if we go through some really tough cold spells, um, that could really limit the the nutrition they have for that calf and the colostrum that's provided to that calf. So that's kind of what we're thinking. That kind of sets the stage here. I think what I'll start with is water. Water is the most important thing for cows and crops and horses, I guess, too. It's the <laughs> stuff of life. Yeah. Any living thing, pretty much. Yeah. So... I think it's sometimes overlooked that water in cold weather is something we need to make sure that those cows get. Trent, you mentioned, you know, sometimes with ponds and stuff, it's hard to keep ice broken and that sort of thing. I understand that. Growing up in Nebraska, we had a lot of times cows on stocks, and so we delivered water, so we had to kind of keep track of how much cows needed and how often we needed to fill that tank, and so understand that perspective. The one thing we need to start off with is just thinking really the best thing is to have a unfrozen source of water 24-7. I know that that's not reality, okay? In the very least, making sure cows can get a drink twice a day uh, is the best. Now, I looked up water needs from the beef cattle NRC for 600-pound calves when it's 40 degrees outside, and this is just a dry 40-degree day with no moisture not really much wind impact. Um, for 600 pound calves, they need about five to seven gallons per day. And then a 1300 pound, pound cow would need nine gallons of water a day if she's just a gestating cow and 12 gallons if she's lactating. Now that's no other inclements, rain or you know wind or anything like that. That's the baseline. Now, if you're watering out of a pond, you're not gonna think about that necessarily, right? Right, and that's what I think about to those cold spells that we've had, whenever you, you break ice, I'd often break the ice, try to make sure the cattle knew that it was broken, and then I would feed you know cubes or something right next to it, try to get them thirsty, and I'd still have a difficult time getting them to utilize that water source. It was real weird. I read a little bit about that. Um, Terry Mater out of the University of Nebraska you know, based his career on weather stress, temperature stress, and he said that cows... A lot of times in winter weather, when that water is so cold, they really don't like to drink it unless they're just really, really thirsty. So that could have been why. I mean, I think about sucking up on a slushy from Sonic. That's probably like what it's like, you know, brain freeze yeah. type feeling. I don't know. But 
that's not always like to get a big drink of water, probably the best, but that's what we have, right? That's mm-hmm. reality. Uh, going back to your, what, nine to 12 gallons of water. Yeah. Now it's probably going to be a big difference whether or not they're on like a, a wheat pasture, small mm-hmm. grain pasture versus, you know, just being dry hay or something like that, right? Right. That's an excellent point, Josh. So if it's just a normal sunny 40 degree day and the wheat is kind of probably not frozen and the small grains aren't frozen, like it would be when it's 20 below zero, that, that yeah. forage is still kind of dry. Um, but they would, that would account for some of their water intake. And a lot of people think, oh, well, they'll eat some snow. If there's snow out there, they don't really eat snow. Okay. That's a wife's tale. They would eat some, but it's not going to help them. Like well, the snow the is of it. going to lower their body temperature so much. It isn't going to, no, absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, in, in, you know, extreme stressful situations, I'm sure they do eat some, but that's talk, not their first. You talk about human survival of, of like backpacking and things like that. And they say it's. If you're dehydrated, you're even colder than you are if you're fully hydrated. So that's one way to stay warm. So it's always that catch-22. You drink something cold to stay warm. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah, that's weird. hard to wrap your mind around. But yeah. if your body's not operating at efficiency and, and your circulatory system is is reduced because you aren't fully hydrated, well, then you're not going to stay as warm. Yeah. So, you know, think, that's something to think about with water. Again, a minimum of two times per day, you know, getting a drink. The one thing to think about, and I should have mentioned this probably before, but stress increases, you know, depending on hair length, depending on how much hair they have grown. Um, those really cold spells we had a couple years ago in the upper Midwest in October were really detrimental to beef herds just because they hadn't grown a winter coat. And so when we think about January and February, even in Oklahoma, most cows have a pretty significant hair coat on them, and that really helps. So what triggers that hair coat growth? Is it day length or is it temperature? So day length is a big part of it. I think I think temperature has a role because I actually had that question in my mind and I haven't I haven't answered it yet. But you know, with those warmer temperatures we've had this fall, I wondered is the hair grown as much as it would be if we'd had like three months of cold? I don't know, but I did. You know, it is day length triggered to a certain extent. So well, I know mm-hmm. with show cattle, there's quite a few have cool rooms that they keep mm-hmm. them in to go. Oh, that's true. Coat. I don't even think about that, Josh. That's a good but point. Most of those are in dark spaces too, so I don't know. Right. Going You're... back as the temperature is it light? Oh, true. Okay. Yeah. I, I just assumed it'd be temperature, but I don't know. Part I think they play play hand in hand, and they say with reduced day length, you do have a natural increase in consumption rate because it's kind of like they they know to eat a little bit more. So when it is cold, they will try to consume more to balance that increased need to maintain kind of their equilibrium. Quite the same on the equine side, too, is day length is what mostly controls that hair growth. Hmm. So it's whenever you're thinking about whether or not you want to blanket your horses, one, you got to decide. I always tell my wife, and this is my joke of the deal, she worries about our horses in Oklahoma. I say, what about the wild horses in Montana? Mm-hmm. They're surviving minus 50. So it's all about whatever those horses are used to. And yeah. if you're going to blanket them a lot, probably going to have to keep blanketing them because they're not building up any natural resistance to that cold yeah i've heard that that once you start you've got to keep doing it no yeah that made me my only horse <laughs> tidbit for the day <laughs> well i'm trying to help yeah know. there we go so, Tor- trent is our horse uh, resident horse but, specialist but dr heine might think i'm an idiot so. no no that's she would there say that go. she said that before <laughs> so you know there's a lot of things that play in a way to this so you said something about feed josh that leads us into talking about feed so Cold weather is not the time to feed your crappiest hay. 
save that for bedding. If you have snow on the ground, some cows do need some bedding, especially if you have calves, to get them off that frozen ground or that snowy ground. So use your crappy hay for that. And then you use your better hay. Now, it's good to know what quality of hay you're feeding, but wouldn't worry so much about waste during this time because they are going to need quite a bit more nutrition during extremely cold weather. 40 degrees isn't a big deal. Um, they're happy. Happy medium is kind of a 60 degree temperature, but 40 degrees isn't a big deal. Now, when you get colder, like we had some cold temperatures this weekend, but no moisture, unfortunately. The Mesonet has a cattle, what's called a cattle comfort advisor. And so it has great information about how much more we need according to the temperature. So the cattle comfort advisor um, shows that cow's energy requirement increases 1% for each degree. The cattle comfort index is below 32. So it isn't just degrees. It is it is how, how the cold feels, right? So wind and moisture play a role. And that doubles if the animal's wet. Okay, 1% for every degree below 32 um, if they're dry, 2% for that if they're wet. So I've got an example, guys. Okay. All right, because that was a lot of numbers. I'm right there with you. I'm, okay. I'm good to go. Okay, <laughs> so here's an example. I used January 6th. January 6th in the early afternoon, the cattle comfort index on the mesonet was 11 degrees in Kingfisher. So if you recall, January 6th was dry. It was just a really chilly day. Um, no moisture. There was some wind, but uh, and that played a role in it. So it was 11 degrees. 32 degrees minus 11 is 21. And so if, if it was a dry day, 1% times 21%, that gives us 21% increase in the energy need. Okay. Well, what does that tell us? Six pounds more. Yeah. So there you go. Energies. So, so yeah. Probably. So, if you were feeding 20% cubes, which are, I looked at the energy value about 75%. TDN, that would require an additional about four pounds of 20% cubes on a daily basis for a dry cow and about five pounds to a lactating cow. Now, you just make that change, that would be a lot, especially if you feed you know, every other day or something. That would be a big change. So they say um, start feeding before the cold weather a little bit more and then continue feeding after and kind of spread that out. That may take a little math, but that's my example. It gives you an idea of what extra feed is needed. I like to think of it that way because we could just throw more feed out there and just not really know whether we're saving money or we're not giving them enough or whatever. Um, that gives you an example kind of, of more feed we need. So again, water is really important in this. With more feed, more water is needed. And so that's why I say, you know, just that extra water is important to keep the microbes happy in the gut, keep you know everything going because cattle during cold, if you're feeding really poor quality forage, um, don't have enough water, they can get compacted. You can have some issues that way. They just can't digest it fast enough. Have you done any research to determine at what point cows can't stay warm, where they couldn't ingest enough extra calories to actually maintain their- Like a temperature? Yeah. I'm sure we could look that up. That would be cool. I mean, I'm sure the cattle comfort index would show. Because at some point up north, you start to see cattle shelter. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's there's some line there, I would guess, of prolonged exposure to extreme temperatures. Because, you know, in Oklahoma, you know, you go to social media, and I'll open up a can of worms here, but, you know, when it gets really cold like that, especially last year, you would mm -hmm. see people saying, well, why don't you have shelter for your cattle? This is a terrible thing, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and just here, where we are geographically in, in the world, cattle are built to handle it. Yeah. And, and you get into those extremes. I never... I never lost a full-grown animal to cold exposure. 
Now, sometimes you'll see damage to calves' ears and things like that, but I've just I've never lost one because she froze to death. So it's just, you have to understand where you are in the country, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I think point. so too. No, I think that's a good point. I think, and I think acclimate, you know, cattle that are acclimated to the cold really are more tolerant. And I think the one thing that's bad about shelter in some ways is here in Oklahoma, people don't have like big enough shelters. They're really not built right. And so you get a bunch of cattle in a smaller building that gets humid. It's actually colder, wet, muddy. And so that can be even more detrimental um, than just being out in a you know, snowstorm or whatever. So calves a little bit different, like you said. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting that people, sometimes I think people think, you know, way up in North Dakota, all cattle are just kept inside in the wintertime. And they're not necessarily, you know, they're just built for that. Mm-hmm. They do have, you know, it's normal, even where I grew up, to have frostbitten ears every single year. Um, and so that it just happens. And cows that just have short ears. So I think that's an interesting topic too, Trent. And I... I don't know the level of cold that's just too cold. Well, it's probably a, a number that isn't, maybe it isn't known. You it's know, like and, a combination of many yeah. things. So it's it's one of those things. It's, you know, a human being sit outside overnight on a 30 degree night and might not make it till morning. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> cold. You know, yeah, it depends on how many clothes you have on and, and all the things that go with that. So it's just amazing. It, you get, for some animals, you get the, if you're cold, they're cold too. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of that, there is a huge difference in the way a body or an animal can actually handle some of those stresses. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure breeds and genetics go a long way too. Oh, I think so too. Mm. I think you're exactly right. Cattle that are born and bred in the north probably have a lot more cold tolerance. Kind of like cattle that are born and bred in, in southern Texas, they have a lot more heat tolerance. Yeah. You know, there are different breeds that are, you know, I wouldn't take a Brahmin to North Dakota. No floppy ears. No, man. I don't think so. Well, you talk about that. The African elephant has big floppy ears because there's a lot of blood vessels there, and that's how they fan themselves and keep themselves cool is through their huge ears. And then Brahma cows, you, you kind of mm-hmm. get some of oh, that going true. over, too. You got those big ears, and I've got a poor cow. I don't know where she's from or what her lineage is, but she's probably got four inch hair and she's super short and stocky. And I just mm-hmm. feel so bad for her in the summertime. She looks she miserable. She never sheds off. <laughs> Not really. But man, if she gets to winter, she's the one that's doing the best. Oh, probably so. <laughs> so yeah. It just depends. You know, there's yeah. a lot of things I think that play a role in it. But our slick haired Angus cows, they don't necessarily look like they're built for cold some of the time. Depends <laughs> on they... what, you know, what lineage, like you said. Yeah. I think one thing just to say before we wrap this up is um, feeding, watering, and sheltering kind of in a similar area. Cattle who are in shelter, if they're fed or watered a long ways away, may not eat as much or drink as much as they would need if they have to travel out of, you know, the windbreak or whatever. So that's one thing to think about. Not always, you know, you're not going to move your pond, right? Mm -hmm. And the shelter is not by the pond. So that's not always realistic, but it's something to think about if you are hauling water you you know have a shelter that you can move or something like that i know you mentioned as far as the the extra cubes and stuff kind of ramping them up if we have a big cold snap coming or Mm -hmm. forecasted anyways always been told not to dump a bunch of hay after the big snowstorm or something like that try to get out hay beforehand is there much truth to that I don't know. I think I think like I said, spreading it out is probably good. Feeding a little at higher level of a lot of things, even after the cold snap, just helps them regain some of that energy. So I don't know exactly. I've never heard that before. That I could be out of the loop as far as that information goes. Maybe it's more for the rancher comfort if not hay and snow. 
Well, in the feeding prior to the snow, if you get that rumen working and, and completely full, that's going to be generating heat as well. You don't want them to be on an empty stomach and then feed because yeah. mm -hmm. your consumption rates go down. You want to start at a high level of nutrition to begin with. And that yeah. kind of goes back to like windbreaks. We built a lot of temporary windbreaks out of round bales just mm -hmm. sitting out in the field because a lot of our pastures are barren. I mean, it's of just course, grass. Yes. We did that. I don't know that I ever saw a cow standing behind it. Really? So okay. was, to me, it was a cattle behavior thing where they weren't used to it being there. They didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. They didn't use it. Now, on the other side, I've got a line of hay stacked next to a, a pasture that the calves have been there for a few months now, and they use it for a south windbreak because they know it's there. Yeah, <laughs> and, so it's been And they're there used to it. So it's one of those deals that it made me feel better to build windbreaks that week prior to that cold snap, but they really didn't utilize it. So... It all just depends. It could be the proximity to where water was and that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, think about your, your feeding, what you need to feed when the water weather gets colder. And if you've never looked at the Kettle Comfort Index, go ahead and take a look at that. It's kind of cool. Uh, water, uh, a minimum of two times a day in, in the very least. So feeding, watering, kind of done in a sheltered area, kind of all close together. That's good. Uh, knowledge is power. Knowing what you're feeding is really important. Um, and the bottom line is maintaining that body condition. Um, for all cows, most importantly, those are just about ready to calve. You mentioned knowing what you're feeding. I know you've been busy with a lot of county programs about calibrating your cake boxes and stuff like that. How have those been going? They've been going really good. We did just a few in December, and I have 13 over the next three weeks. We're not necessarily calibrating the feeders. We're just testing for accuracy uh, to help producers know what they're feeding, maybe give some consultations um, as far as feed requirements for different stages of cows. It's been really rewarding. It's really a high impact exercise. Producers can come in the very least spend five minutes. We'll probably test their feeder three or four times, record it and kind of give them an idea of what they're feeding and then compare it to what they thought they were. Um, it's a good conversation to have and, and they've been going really well. So we have them coming up in Noble County, uh, Harper County, Woodward County, Woods County, Ellis County and Dewey County. Yeah. over the next three weeks. So I'll put some information about that. It's on our extension calendar and um, we've got them set up and ready to go. Just look at those counties' calendars and, and we'll have more information about that coming up. That was a pretty good program. It inspired me to check mine. So I oh, found out that did. one push of my button was three pounds. Okay, so what was, kind of feeder do you have? An old mighty handy. I mean, it's old. <laughs> a mighty handy? Yeah. Oh, I've never tested one of those yet. <laughs> so it's, it's just an auger. <laughs> okay, just an auger feeder. Yeah, it's an auger feeder. So it's super, mine's super low tech, no counter or anything, but you just press the button and 10 presses filled a bucket and that was right at 31 pounds. Okay, that's figuring cool. Figuring the, the size of the bucket and and some of this other behavioral stuff you're talking about, it kind of reaffirms what I've been doing without really thinking about it. I feed every other day with cubes. When it gets cold, I feed every day. Mm -hmm. And that probably works out pretty good when you're close to zero degrees. So. I think so. I think that's a, a good practice. And uh, was it close to what you had thought you were feeding? Nope. No. No, it wasn't. That makes was... me so satisfied to hear that. <laughs> yeah. because not that not anything against you, Trent, but yeah. it's nice to know that actually what we're doing is really helping. It doesn't help every producer, but I think it's good to think about. Well, the unfortunate thing was I was underfeeding, so I was saving some money, and now my bills got quite a bit higher. But on the other side, you think about cubes being 300, 20% cubes, about $370 a ton right now, which is so a lot expensive. higher than they've been in the past. Almost in some cases could be double. So checking that feeder, making sure you're not over mm -hmm. applying your feed is going to be incredibly important to the bottom line. Yeah. And I think, I think we'll have, um, I'll talk a little bit more about that maybe in the future about what we found. So. All right. Sounds good. Well, yep. thanks everyone for joining us and we'll catch you next time.